This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired-up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation and we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions we are capitalizers and this is our show welcome back to capitalize your finances as always i am your host christopher a Paniotti, the cap and capitalize and today we have a very special guest he's the author of who is max lewis 37 chapters 37 lessons $37 million, the Max Lewis. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. This is going to be fantastic. Um, I was going to ask what you sold the business for, but that was an embarrassing dad joke, and my team decided to have me not do that. But before we dive into your book, which is arguably one of the best business books books excuse me, I have ever read, give our listeners a brief, brief background on who you are. Who am I or what the book's about? Who you are, because we're going to get who into I the am. book. Okay. Um, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, Cuban, Dominican descent. I uh, owned a small business. It was called Florida Propane Exchange. I grew it to be the largest independent propane cylinder exchange company in the state. And I sold that business to Amerigas, which is the biggest propane company in the United States. Um, I still live in Miami, Florida, fish a lot. I retired seven years ago, still dabble in different things. I own nine restaurants, a bunch of real estate, invest into all kinds of different things, but for the most part, kind of a little bit laid back these days. I, I love it. And for those of you that are choosing to not watch the show and are just listening in, Max is sitting in the closest thing I've seen to like an actual replica of the Game of Thrones chair. So that's where at least three million of the uh, the sale of the business <laughs> went to. Now, I, I want to dive into your book and I want to be obviously respectful of, of your time. R- right off the bat, you actually talk about this story of your love for making money and it began at eight years old. And that was when you and your dad were going door to door selling mangoes, if my memory uh, is not failing me. And you talked about all the valuable traits you gained from your experience, but I'm curious if you decide to have kids, and we've talked about that in the past, what would you do differently? I don't think I'd do anything differently. Nothing? No, I think I'd do the same thing. I'd make them work. I'd make them hustle. And, uh, you know, I, I have nephews. I don't have children of my own, but I have nephews. And I know it's tough to see your kids struggle. You don't want to see them you know, suffer some of the same things you did as a parent growing up, but it's very valuable lesson to give them that experience and kind of teach them, you know, the value of a dollar and what it could take to earn money if you have no skills or no education. So I would put them through the same ringer, you know, make them, make them earn the money, you know, whether it's pulling weeds or selling mangoes or washing a car, you really want that lesson to kind of uh 
take hold. I, I would definitely, I would do the same things, man. I'd probably make it even a little, little harder, more challenging. Okay. Well, because that's what I was going to say. Because on the surface, I, I, I kind of assume that you wouldn't have changed anything, but there's always, uh, there's always that window for improvement. And I, I think we could go with that through everything. So there yeah. aren't even any nuances that you would maybe alter a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So specifically, and it's, and thank you for clarifying and saying that. So specifically, I would have my kids work on strategy. So mm. it's not necessarily just, hey, if you want to make money, go pull weeds in the backyard. I'd let them do that. But then maybe I'd say, okay, what's a better strategy? I'd kind of like access their mind and their creativity and see what they come up with. Because I, I'm a big fan of questions and thinking as a skill. Mm. So I'd want to trigger that in them at as early as of an age as possible so that they can start thinking outside of the box, so to speak, and say, you know, there's probably a better way to do this. What I've seen with a lot of people is they, they'll find something that works and then they'll just do that forever mm -hmm. without really ever questioning is there a better way to do this? Yes. Could I be, you know, more effective, you know? So that is the element that I would add to that. I'd let them kind of struggle a little bit, see how, you know, hard and challenging the things like washing cars or whatever could be. And then, hey, let me ask you some questions. And I'd probably come up with some pretty badass questions, as you know. <laughs> uh, oh, I am well aware of that one. It's, it's also interesting. We'll, we'll maybe get to this later in the episode if we have time how people find something that works and they stick to it and they don't alter it. I think that is a, how do, how do I say this? It's such a tough balancing act because there are people that can say, I should have changed this, this, and this earlier. But if they hadn't gone through with that experience and they changed it too early, it could have been super detrimental. So just as a side note for listeners that are, are trying to be entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial excuse me or are already entrepreneurs make sure you really balance that tightrope between altering what is working or sticking to it now i want to get back to your book in in because your dad was instrumental in your success really your whole family when your dad rewarded you with your bike after you successfully saved money did you ever think of reinvesting in yourself at an early age or did that even cross your mind? And I'm going to give your eight-year-old self the benefit of the doubt if that did not happen. Well, I was more interested in saving and making money than, than really the bike at that point. Because yeah. the game of making money, saving money became so fun to me. And I think more importantly, since I was making my father proud, that became leverage. You know, I wanted my father to be proud of me. I wanted him to acknowledge me. Yeah. And that was really good leverage for him to use as, you know, I want, I want this lesson to take hold. So once I saw how excited he was and happy he was about me saving this money and, you know, selling things and et cetera, um, that's all I really needed. I mean, after that, I really didn't care about much else. You know, as a young kid, I just... You know, you, I, you, you create, I craved my father's love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was good in leverage. Well, and, and that's, yeah. And it's one of those things where the, the fact that you figured out all this stuff at not only an early age, but like 
extremely early age. It, it's it's beyond impressive. It's almost bizarre if we got to be frank, because most people don't have that. I mean, let's just be really honest. I mean, I started investing when I was ten, but when I was eight, I mean, I was just. Um, I was not a great... I mean, I wasn't a bad kid, but, like, I was just an annoying kid. Like, a very annoying, talkative kid. And now I'm I'm no longer a kid. I'm just annoying. But it, it it's neither here nor there. You eventually graduated from mangoes to candy at the mature age of 12. Which, again, that's four years in business. So, by that time, you're already talking profit margins. So... Did you begin to understand these terms as for what they were? Or was this all just purely conceptual and going with your gut off of experience? No, I understood it because it was explained to me. And I think to, to what you were just saying, anyone could have done what I did. Anyone. Yeah. Had you had the lesson and we mm-hmm. channeled your energy, if we find the right leverage, right? For me, the leverage was my father. He was, you know, I just wanted to make him happy, right? But for someone else, maybe, I don't know, maybe it could have been going to Disney World. You know, who knows? At a young age, you have, you know, different aspirations. Sure. But um, I think anyone can do it. And as a matter of fact, not too long ago, I was at a, uh, like an outdoor cigar bar area okay. in Coral Gables. And there was a, a young mother there with her, with her son and her husband. And there was a kid and he was running around. And man, sure, I mean, this was awesome. So the kid walks up to me and he asks me for I don't know what the hell he asked me for, and I and I I took it as like you know what I'm gonna teach this kid a lesson right now, and I said well I, I can't remember what it was I wish I would remember what he asked me for but uh, long story short I said why don't you make some money instead and you could get your own. He's like how do I make money? I said well we had there was some candy there, and I said why don't you get these candies? They were breath mints. I said why don't you get these breath mints? And go around and see if someone will buy them from you. He's like, okay, how much? And I said, three bucks. So first guy he walked into just happened to be a salesman. He was like sitting on, on to the side of me. And kid walks up to him, hey, I want, you know, would you buy this, whatever? And the guy's like, absolutely. Buys it from him right off the bat. And then he tells him, keep it. So he comes back with the three bucks and the candy. So he's like, oh, look, I made three bucks. And I was like, he gave you the thing. You got really lucky. Go sell it to someone else. So he goes and he actually sells it this time. And long story short, this kid, before he left, because they left like maybe 20 minutes after that, dude, he had like 10, 15 bucks. He was selling everything. He's like grabbing shit off the table. Uh, can I sell this? Can I sell that? He's walking to everybody and asking them if they'd buy stuff. He turned into a salesman in less than half an hour. Mm-hmm. He got that principle. He got the concept. And next thing you know, he's, you know, he, all right, he just learned how to make money. And that took, I mean, literally 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Well, this was a, this was a long time ago. We had a previous guest, Pete, Peter Margaritas through, um, and he's a CPA teacher through the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, excuse me. Big difference. Mm-hmm. You can't mess that up between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about something similar to that regard and i was talking about my at this as of now nine month old daughter in in the lemonade stand and it's one of those things where so many of these parents they the intention is great they set up the lemonade stand outside their home the kid sells a couple cups of lemonade and then they're over it and i go no Mm -hmm. you got to go outside your home and then the next weekend right because they got school or whatever then you go to whole foods 
And then you go to, in our case, you know, locally, Trader Joe's or Safeway or a mini mart. And then you teach them the art of location and the art of sale and the quality of the customer and all of that. Nothing against anyone at, you know, local mini yeah. mart, but Whole Foods, it's it's nicknamed Whole Paycheck for a reason. So right. <laughs> I, I think it's awesome that you created that salesman uh, very quickly. Now, if you told him how much he'd be taxed on that, you would have created a capitalist very quickly right after. Yeah, I'd have to give him your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Well, let's let's ask. I'll tell you what, yeah, tell you what else. In addition to what you're saying, I believe like the um, the lemonade stand is great, but you got to take it a step further. You got to get out of your comfort zone because the stand is awesome because it's a good place to start. But they're still kind of like hiding behind this table and waiting for people to come up. And if something, if somebody comes up and buys lemonade, they have a sale. But if no one comes up, they don't sell shit. Pardon my French. Um, so I'd prefer to say like, okay, if no one comes up, get from behind this table, go out and you know socialize, introduce yourself, tell people, hi, my name is Chris. I'm selling lemonade right over there. You know, like get them to interact so they can start getting comfortable with getting uncomfortable because yeah. it's not always that comfortable an experience to go out and try to convince someone to buy something from me. Yes. So that, that, that was a really important part of my lesson was, okay, it's not going to come to me. I have to go get after it. So let me get out of, you know, this chair and go make something happen. Yeah. 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 The $3 million chair. Well, so, so let's fast forward a little bit to when you were 18 ish. So you had your first investment property in a warehouse, which I believe you still enjoy the income today. Unless yep. something has changed. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into investment strategies later on in the show. But for now, I, I'm curious. Once you made this first purchase, and this could be a much deeper conversation than just what I'm about to ask. Mm -hmm. Would you say you immediately had a bias, not a bad one per se, but a bias towards real estate as an investment? No. It's all I knew. Okay. But first of all, first of all, I was extremely scared to make that investment. Mm -hmm. Very nervous. It was nerve wracking. Like trying to trying to hold down the curse words because I curse a lot. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the profanity. Yeah. <laughs> but I was very scared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was really scared. I didn't know how it was going to work out. So you know. Fast forward till today, you're like, well, it worked out pretty amazing. I made millions of dollars off of it. That's great. But at that time, all I knew was I pretty much took all the money I had, used it as a down payment to buy a real estate property. And I was making initially between like five and $800 a month mm -hmm. after paying my mortgage. So I saw it as a good thing. I just didn't know how good. Sure. And I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I just knew, okay, this is probably a, a good move. Yeah. Three, four years later, I was able to pay it off. And then I saw it as a very, very good thing. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is great. You know, I don't have to work. And I get, you know, at the time I was probably making like four or five grand off of that warehouse. Yeah. So I felt awesome. I was like, well, I have like, you know, four or $5,000 a month that I don't have to work for. This is, this is amazing. Oh, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, real estate can, can be a phenomenal investment. It's just interesting um, and you just answered my question, but I've seen so many people, whether they're guests, whether they come through my office, whatever the case is, and the amount of bias 
towards real estate is so crazy to me. But people have been able to get away with it because, and I don't know exactly when you bought your your, your piece of real estate. Obviously, 18. I don't want to age you, right? right. Um, <laughs> but for a lot of these people over the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years, for sure 10 years, you could have been a borderline bozo and done really, really, really well in real estate, and then you get away with it and keep getting away with it, and eventually you don't keep getting away with it. So I just find it kind of fascinating. Now, in your early days, and I believe you were making 32000 in your first season selling propane tanks via transportation, one of your greatest competitive advantages was knowing the numbers like the back of your hand. Now, this is more of a surface-level question, but I've got to ask. Doesn't it shock you how many people that run businesses don't know their numbers? And a second parter to that is, what is your biggest pet peeve in business? Well, yes, it it absolutely does shock me. But you know what's even more shocking? The people that have the numbers and don't know what the hell they mean. That, to me... I mean, I coach a lot of people, and when they, they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you my P&L. And I'm like, this P&L looks like total crap. <laughs> Do you know what these numbers mean? Oh, I, I made 500000 this year. I'm like, you didn't make 500000 You grossed 500000 oh, You didn't make anything. Yeah. You know, like, these are the type of things that I have encountered in the past. Yeah. I'm like, it's just shocking to me that people don't really understand how well or how poor they're doing. Mm-hmm. Some people know no numbers at all, which is crazy and then you have people like that and then there's very few people that understand exactly how well they're doing and what they need to do to improve or course correct um it's kind of crazy it is really really impressive to i mean that number is i'd say seven out of ten people really don't have a they don't have a a clue of finances you really think it's that high? I mean, I obviously not every single person's going to know, but seven out of ten. I mean, that, that that's huge. Yeah, they. You know, I, I experienced this myself. I was that guy. I was that guy early on. You know, the accountant. Hey, what is this good or bad? Like, yeah, well, the debits, credits. You know, okay, is it good? Or am I doing good? Or am I doing bad? Yeah. You know, I know what I'm doing at my level, but then the accountant comes and says, you know. You're doing great. You're doing bad. You owe this much in taxes. And you say, well, hold on a second. The more money I get, the more money you're going to tax me. It's almost like I'm being punished for being successful. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what mm-hmm. a layman would say. And that's I was a layman. So I was like, I don't get this. You know, there's a lot of strategy that is involved with depending on what your outcome is. You yeah. know, if you're trying to, for example, sell a business, the smartest thing to do is put every single dollar in the company, show as much profit as absolutely possible. And when you do that, you're going to pay a lot of freaking taxes. And if you're investing, reinvesting into your business and, you know, buying more assets, usually that means at the end of the year, you're going to have very little cash, but you're going to have, you know, a 30, 30 to 40% tax liability. Uh-huh. So like in my case, at one point, I, I owed more money in taxes than I had in cash, even though I made a couple million dollars. So... You know, people don't understand that and they don't, there's a lot to it, man. And there's different strategies for, are you growing a business to, to just live off of it? Are you, are you trying to sell it? There's, there's different strategies that you should be deploying depending on what your outcome is. Yeah. Well, and and I, I would imagine, um, going on a little tangent here, your business 
being with propane and really just having materials in general like because you know the big three statements the balance sheet income statement or PL, and then cash flow and in our business we're service-based and so yep balance sheet doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot and cash flow right. it's like well our operating activity is our income so mm. i live and die by the profit and loss versus mm. for a lot of these uh companies with material goods did you lean more on the cash flow statement once you understood it or were you more of a PL guy i was a PL guy okay so you and i are the same I was a PL guy <laughs> well it, in my business the unfortunate reality of of the business that i was in was I needed a lot of assets to produce cash, mm. right? So I'd have to buy more propane tanks. I'd have to buy more cages. I'd have to buy more trucks. You know, there's a lot of things I needed to buy. Once I bought those assets and put them to work, it, it created a good amount of cash flow. Right. But it would take, you know, let's say on average a year, just to throw a number, to get to just break even and then start being profitable, so to speak, after I've paid myself back. So. You think about it, if I spend a million dollars this month in, you know, assets, I'm not going to get that million bucks back, let's say, till next year. But then next month, I'm going to spend another million. Mm-hmm. And then next month, I'm going to spend another million. And it looks really great on your P&L. You say, wow, this guy's making two, three million bucks. It's like, yeah, how much did you spend in order to get that cash flow? And that's the issue with, with the propane business. You're constantly buying equipment. It's like a never-ending you know, battle. So that, that was my struggle. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, um, before we move on, there's a book I want to recommend that you snag. It's called where the money is by Adam Cecil. And what you were just mentioning regarding, uh, the tax code and deducting research and development or depreciation or whatever the case is, that book has single-handedly opened my eyes and a lot of our listeners' eyes into how to value a business, whether it's a stock or their own, and Mm -hmm. compare it to what type of business is it? Is it propane? Is it tech? Is it a consumer good? Um, So I I strongly recommend you dive into it. You will thank me later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adam was on the show. He's a phenomenal guy. Now, due to the nature of your business being cyclical, and these were your words, not, not mine, On Mm -hmm. one hand, it was a tremendous gift because you could think about the next winter season with propane and and when it was booming and really capitalize on it, pun intended. The (laughs) downside is obvious when you have more time on your hands where you're not making money. And I've noticed that especially with entrepreneurs, they make a mistake of trying to diversify their business too early. This goes back to kind of what we said earlier. And often they shouldn't diversify ever. You were open and honest about your initial setback in doing so. And I'm curious if you think this is the largest business mistake people make. And if not, what do you think is? Yeah, I absolutely think it is the biggest mistake because you don't create wealth by diversifying. You create wealth by doing one thing, kicking ass in that thing, putting all of your eggs into that basket so that you can create something and once you create that thing and it's you know shooting off profits for you you maintain your wealth by saying okay now i got whatever 10 million dollars let's buy some real estate let's get some stocks let's you know whatever it is that you're into but that's how you 
you maintain your wealth, but you can't create wealth that way. And a lot of people don't understand that. And a lot of people think that they need to diversify very early on. And it's like, for example, oh, I made $1,000 washing cars. Okay, great. All right, I'm going to get this money and I'm going to go. No, dude, if you just made a thousand bucks washing cars, why don't you reinvest into what just gave you the money mm-hmm. to see if we could turn it into two or three thousand? And then when you get to a point where you're like, okay, now it's, for example, a million. All right, let's diversify. But a thousand dollars, you're not going to do anything with a thousand dollars. You can buy any stock you want or any real estate you want. It's for, for the immediate future, it's not really going to help you that much. What could help you is if you continue to invest into whatever is giving you that result. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm not going to go on a tangent of why I think diversification can be just utter garbage, but there is a saying in our world, and, and I forget who coined it. I, it was definitely not me, but uh, concentration is what builds wealth. Diversification is what keeps wealth. So it's a phenomenal saying, you know. That's, that's, that's uh, exactly right. That's exactly it. <laughs> well, and there's, there's another quote in your book that I want to read, and it's a direct one. Quote, there is always more than one option. Mm-hmm. This is something you referenced when one of your vendors moved on and you quickly needed to pivot to another. So this got me thinking of a phrase I heard a while ago that sat interestingly with me. Everyone is replaceable. What is your take on that? Yes. <laughs> Explain. Yes. <laughs> Everyone is replaceable. Yeah, I mean, I think that oftentimes we kind of, um, you know, we're looking at things from this up close. I mean, Chris is the only guy who could do it. Chris is the only guy who could do it. Chris, is, it's yeah. like, okay, hold on a second. There's a whole world of people out here that can probably do it. But I'm, I'm so focused on it being Chris who's going to solve my problems for me or be the best manager or the best yeah, driver, yeah, yeah. whatever the business is then yeah, you're going to be stuck on stupid. And you need to understand and acknowledge the fact that there are a ton of extremely talented and bright people in the world. And you, if, you're, if you want to have them on your team or hire them or be part of your organization, you got to go out and look for them. And the best people are usually working somewhere else, doing something. They're, they're very seldomly the guys on uh, monster.com or things of that nature because... Badass people who are really, really good are typically not looking for work. Typically. Yeah. They might be at a place and not be that happy and, and be open to new opportunities. But the best people are usually not unemployed. They're employed. <laughs> and, you know, you're probably going to have to go headhunt and, and, and find, you know, these very talented people. But you will find them. I mean, think about how big the world is. How many billions of people are there in the world? Yeah. Like, you're going to tell me that... I'm not replaceable, that the next, the next guy's not replaceable. Of course, man, there's a lot of people smarter than me, better looking than me. I know that's hard to believe. Yeah, I don't believe that one. <laughs> I, I don't believe but, that one. But yeah, man, of course, they're absolutely replaceable. I think sometimes we just kind of get scared. We're, we're scared of have, you know, having the need to replace someone, go out and look for that person. What if they don't know this? What if they don't know that? Blah, blah, blah. And I think that's a lot, a lot of that is internal. Yeah. You know, We kind of psych ourselves out and scare ourselves more than we when we need to instead of saying okay hold on let me monitor myself talk here and be proactive and be more solution oriented than you know trying to talk myself uh, out of it or make it worse than it really is in reality interesting 
Well, and I, I go back and forth on that. I, I've actually landed on the opposite. I don't think everyone is replaceable. And the only reason I say that, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, thinking of, of, of myself. I always wake up and ask, what can I do to become irreplaceable? Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you if you have, I mean, yeah, because technically, right, duh, everyone is replaceable. But as an entrepreneur, I don't think we can afford to have that mentality. Can I change yours? Sure. Yeah. Can no, I'm totally it? open to it. Yeah, I'm not set how on it. We, how about we change it to what can I do to add the most value? Because replaceable, you're absolutely replaceable. Yeah. You know, I had, I had a friend of mine who was a sergeant in the police academy, and he had over a year of PTO, paid time off. Mm-hmm. And I would always convince him, I'm, t- I'm traveling all over the world all the time. And I'd invite him on these trips. He never would sh- go to any of these trips. And he always had this kind of excuse. I have to be there. They're counting on me. I'm like, dude, you work for the freaking police department. Mm-hmm. If God forbid tomorrow you drop dead of a heart attack, they're going to get another sergeant and give him your desk. And that's it. Like it's done. You think that they're going to stop fighting crime because you died? Yeah. No, man. Yeah. And it's the same goes for you. God forbid something happens to you, people are going to go do their finances somewhere else. Something happened to me, okay, I'm not going to write another book. Someone else wrote a book. Like, they're going to replace us. Will they be as good? Maybe not. Will they be as good looking? <laughs> Maybe not. But Definitely. they're going to find a replacement. Yeah. They're going to definitely not. But they're going to find a replacement. The, a replacement exists. Mm-hmm. Fact. Like, and you have to understand, people, people have to move on. This is life. So... I'll give you an example. Something I say all the time. What do you think is going to happen 30 minutes after your funeral? What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Someone's going to look at someone else and say, so what do you want to go eat? Yeah. Right? Right. You hungry? Yeah. What do you need for dinner? What do you need for lunch? Because life goes on, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to say, Chris died. The world has ended. Shut everything down. Yeah. He's irreplaceable. Stop the world. No, dude. They're going to say, oh, that sucks. We'll remember him fondly. What do you want to go eat? You want a sandwich? Yeah. Want to go get a shake? Let's go. Come on. Yeah. Cheer up, buddy. Well, do you think – so I, I actually think we're, we're saying things very similarly, though, just from like a different frame. Because irreplaceable meaning adding the most value, right? Right. And I think that can be that can be, um, and I get it from a business standpoint. Um, it's interesting from a personal standpoint that could get gray, and that might be, you know, another time we have you on the, the show because obviously personal is totally different than business. But right. I, I wanted to ask you about your 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 first interaction with basically your only competition in your area at the time in how much mental prep you took yourself through. Now, I've got to admit, when I was reading this, I'm like the exact same. Professionally, personally, I do this sometimes to the detriment of my own sleep. Now we just don't sleep because we have a daughter, but like that's neither here nor there. How do you or did you balance the juggling act of, of, you know, making sure you prep but don't prep too hard and, and sacrifice yourself as I'm sure you've succumbed to the same issue. And, and there was a quote that I believe you've mentioned uh, by Mark Twain. I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which had never happened. So I didn't do a balance. I was obsessed yeah. with outcome, obsessed, yeah. like to a fault. 
like to the point that I would get sick because I didn't eat or I ate too much or I was only eating junk food and I didn't sleep and all I did was think and think and think and what are the ways and I mean that's that's how I became successful that's not how I stayed successful that's not how I grew but it's that is initially that kind of mentality is initially what got me going good old-fashioned hard work it wasn't that I was so smart it wasn't you know anything miraculous I just was obsessive yeah obsessive of the outcome I wanted to win and I was going to do anything and everything to win. It didn't matter what the hell it was or what time it was or what day it was. Yeah. I'm going to win. And that's the only thing I knew. So, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it, man. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm very similar. I will say the one caveat was, and again, I'm, I'm totally fine now, but because I've had Crohn's my whole life with autoimmune, eventually that catches up to you. So you have to kind of pivot, but... I mean, even then, and we can talk about that after the show. I mean, there have been times where, you know, I've been knocking on Jesus's door prematurely, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, before I check out, I, I got to get this done. So <laughs> I, I hear you. But it's one of those things where I, I'm assuming you would say this to people that look up to you and go to you for coaching and consulting. You would tell them, don't do this. Like, enjoy it. But yeah. we can't help but be hypocritical because that's what got us to where we were now you know i i read what... so, so i've answered this by the way okay recently. go for it go for it yeah. so that they were asking me what would i do differently if i if i could rewind the tape and it wasn't that i'd be less intense because i was super intense but i would celebrate the wins mm -hmm. so what does that mean so for example let's say my goal was to make a hundred thousand dollars well, okay, the day that I made $1, if I made my first dollar today, I'd celebrate that somehow. How exactly? Well, maybe I ate some ice cream. Maybe I took my dog for a walk. I don't know, but I'd do something to mark the celebration. Then if I got to 1,000, I'd do something else, and 5,000 and 10,000 and so on and so forth. But I would set little, you know, um, benchmarks mm. for, I'm going to acknowledge how far I've come and enjoy this process i'm gonna bust my ass i'm gonna work as hard as possible but i'm also going to acknowledge my success along the way which is something that i did not do at all yeah i was a multi-millionaire living in a freaking studio apartment and i didn't celebrate any wins i never celebrated wins i was just like okay great we made that money i did that deal great keep going like nothing mattered it's not like i said I'm going to book a 30-day European... Nothing. Work. But do you think also part of your celebration and enjoyment was because you loved what you did so much? Where you maybe looked back and said, well, I'm loving what yeah. I'm doing, so that is the reward. Yes. Um, that That's a good point. But it doesn't mean that you can acknowledge your progress. Yes. And that's what I was lacking. It, it's not that I had to book a trip to Europe because, oh, I, I made... A million bucks. I should go to Europe. No, okay. It could be go to McDonald's and have a Sunday with hot fudge on it. Just something to mark. Hey, you did it, man. Good job. You eat your ice cream, enjoy it, and then let's go do the next one. It could have been as simple as that. I just didn't do any of that. Yeah. You know, I had tons of money, tons of assets, and I just never said I deserve 
I don't know, a new car. I just didn't do that. I didn't do much of that so at you all. You never even acknowledged it. Like, Mm-mm. okay. Yeah, that's, Mm-mm. yeah. I mean. I go, you're doing it now. All right. I'm, I, I could be doing better. I, oh, you, you bought that building and you sold it and you made a million dollars. I could have made two million. I'm going to try for the next one. Like, it was just like a, you know, just kept on going, going, going. But also knowing you, I could also argue, and this is this is a compliment, that is your humble demeanor, putting yourself in check, because if you acknowledge too much, then you're dancing with the devil with your ego. That's what right. I could have seen. Right, right. Yeah, well, yeah. It's true. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I just, I think that's the only thing I would have done differently. That's yeah. the only thing I would have done differently if I could rewind the tape. And again, doesn't mean I was going to go out and buy a Ferrari, but just, hey man, I'm doing good. Yeah. Keep going, but just take a second to be like... Take a deep breath. You did good. Yeah. Okay, now, keep, now go to the next one. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Poniotu, the cap in Capitalize, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Well, in did that help you when you were writing your book? Like, hey, I just wrote this chapter, I can chill out, or did you have the same? No, no, I, I was the same, like obsessive, compulsive. <laughs> and I'm gonna finish the book today. It's yeah. like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you no, know? it it doesn't. And and you know, it's your greatest gift is your greatest curse. I mean, that's one of my mm-hmm. favorite sayings. My mentor taught me that years ago, and and. Um, it rings true in so many ways, but hopefully whether it's your restaurants or a future business or maybe another book, um, who still is Max Lewis, that could be the second parter, you know, you can enjoy it along the way and actively remind yourself. And then if not, you just come back and re-listen to this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for you, when, when I read you bought your crosstown rival and, and when I read the dollar amount, right, relative to the, the multiple, I I nearly fell out of my chair. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the steal of a lifetime. And so how long – this is much more of a surface-level question. How long did it take you to realize that the odds of you having a deal like that again was very slim, if not never? I never thought about it again because he was the biggest – piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. for you know in my world at my level there was no one else that i needed to worry about at least during that time period yeah later on the threats came from other startups and i you know i quickly extinguished 
most of all of those efforts, so they really didn't bother me. And then the other the other threats were national players, which ironically, and I'm not sure if it's like this in every industry, but the national guys are just out of touch with local markets and. Yeah. They weren't giving the service or the pricing, and I was just like, these guys are just freaking lost, man. So it wasn't that they, they weren't that hard of a competition for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like that's pretty universal for most businesses, mm. though, because if you don't have boots yeah. on the ground, you have no idea what's going on. Right. I, I can tell you, even in our industry, um, now little monkey wrench though. Everyone is competition in our industry. It used to be, hey. The, the, the guy or gal down the street that has an XYZ planning firm. Well, now with Zoom and, and, and all that, it's everywhere. Right. Um, but I will say you look at the uh, – you, you look at the – I mean, shoot. There was a, a deal a couple of years ago where I think it was called United Financial was sold to Goldman Sachs for like 17 times revenue. And – I mean, their revenue was massive. And I'm yeah. thinking, who in the heck would ever buy something like that? But at that level, you're dealing with people. I mean, it's just a different world. I mean, granted, yeah. you've done extremely well. You've got to add a couple zeros before you can even sniff going to yeah. a group like that. And so for us, it's kind of like, kind of similar to you. They're so out of touch with reality <laughs> that no one cares. You know, right. um, and, and you speaking of finances, though, so you started to turn this corner financially once that merger was completed. And the first thing you did, or at least one of the first things was pay off every debt. And mm -hmm. as I read that, I'm like, oh, that is such a classic entrepreneur move. You're done with debt. You're over it. <laughs> but you are a numbers guy. So did yeah. you think about the cost benefit of keeping some of those debts on your books with the interest rates that you had or were you just like i'm done i'm out of it done i could have owed that money at zero percent interest and i would have paid it off yeah just not a debt guy i still don't have any debt i have all kinds of stuff no debt thou shall lend and not borrow that, <laughs> I don't no borrow. i get it i told well yeah I, I i totally get that um one in speaking of there's a lovely quote that I'm going to read to you. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Mm -hmm. This is one of my favorite quotes in business. And I immediately thought of it when you gave the advice, quote, don't just go with the cheapest option, end quote. Now, little caveat. One thing that I've noticed in my industry is I can quickly tell in about 20 seconds if someone is going to be a great client or not, as the great ones view me as a partner, whereas the not-so-great penny pinch, and, you know, that's when they think I'm just a transaction. Or they're right. just purely cheapaholics. A service-based business like mine, it, it can be a little easier to overcome from my experience, but for your business, which was truly transactional, I'm not discrediting your, your service and your partnerships, how did yeah. you manage to convert your customers' minds to that partnership mentality? So the way I did it was by adding the most value, like I suggested to you earlier. Yeah. So for example, in our in our industry, there were certain things that other the competition wasn't doing. So for example, um, people who would run out of gas, let's say if you ran out of gas at 10 p.m. at night, the competition 
which was uh, Blue Rhino, was charging a $175 emergency delivery fee. When I first started, I charged people 15 bucks because it was me. And I figured, hour of my time, 15 bucks, right? <laughs> Dude, you don't understand. That turned into such an amazing source of revenue for me because it was so reasonable that people called all the time. And they said, oh, 15 bucks, it's worth it. The guy showed up at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. So in the beginning, maybe it wasn't sustainable. But after a while, so many people started to get comfortable with ordering after hours that I had full routes of deliveries after hours. So it increased not only my sales and revenue, it increased the consumption of the customer because if they're ordering fuel after hours instead of waiting till tomorrow now they're using this fuel during the night and then let's say in the morning they're going to need more fuel so i kind of almost doubled my sales by offering that as a as an option for people and obviously took out every single competition i had literally a hundred percent of the market in the areas that i was selling propane to a hundred percent of the market in, in south beach for heater heater gas and um so, and then what I did was I creeped that service charge up a little bit and I tested it. So then it was like $15 between three and five. And then between five and eight, it was $30. And between after eight, it was $45. People still paid. People still paid. And I made a lot of money. So one thing, that as a service, that's just an example. That as a mm -hmm. service. Another hurdle was people had to get their own insurance. And that was a pain in the ass and it cost a lot of money. So I figured out a way that I could give them the insurance either for free are at a very low cost, or I'd work the cost of their insurance in to the product that I'm selling. So they didn't even feel it or know that I was charging it to them. But to the consumer, they're like, so for example, just taking those two, these people deliver 24 7, 365. I delivered on Christmas. I delivered me personally on New Year's in the beginning. Later on, it was my staff. Um, insurance, which was a humongous barrier for people. Solve that problem for you. Hey, what about the insurance? We do it for you. Don't worry about it. What do I have to do? Sign this paper. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. Our team's going to handle the whole thing. What does it cost me? Don't worry about it. Right? It's either in the price of the product. Early on, I started charging people for it. We had different people like different things. And that's another thing you have to understand the customer. Mm -hmm. Some people say, don't raise my price. Charge me up front. Some people say, don't charge me up front. I'd rather raise my price. Whatever. Or, hey... Um, I don't want to do either, but I'll sign a 10-year contract. Okay, that's good for me too. Like I'm going to – you find the way to win with each individual person because not everyone is the same and not everybody wants the same things. But the way that we solve this problem and the way that I provide the value is by creating every single scenario, every possible scenario that I can so that whether you're the guy who likes the insurance benefit or – He's the guy that likes the delivery benefit or the other guy likes the fact that we are clean and presentable or the other person likes the fact that we don't have a call attendant and a human being is going to answer the phone, even though our, my company was probably too big to have that. At, at You know, I look for all the things and I do all of them, yeah. all of them so that the customer is like, man, these people deliver at the best times. They're always answer the phone. They provide me insurance. I get the best price. Why would I buy from somebody else? Why, why would I buy from someone else? So creating that value, depending on the industry that you're in, I just attacked it from every single angle. And I could probably give you a list of like 50 things that I did in order to accomplish that. But it worked. Mm -hmm. 
it worked because I, I, I helped everyone, you know, everyone got, regardless of what was important to you, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of, so for example, in your industry, you're dealing with people and they generally want one of a handful of things. I don't know if you've identified them, but usually it's like the guy who's like, I want to retire and I want to have money for my kids or I don't really care. I want to gamble and see if I can hit it big or, you know, how many of those scenarios are there? Yeah, no, no, yeah, I, I got it. There, there, there are more than you'd think, but I mean, not okay. as many in the propane industry. For so, sure. so let's say there's 10. Yeah. Let's say there's 10. Sure. So you come up with a solution or a hook, an angle for every single one of those guys before you even meet them because you already know this situation exists. Yeah. And then when you encounter this person, oh, I'm the guy who... Uh, who, who wants the you know who wants to gamble perfect here's your program the yeah. gambling program yeah sold i'm the guy who wants to play it safe here's your program sir here's the play it safe program tailored for a guy just like you okay great sign me up yeah all right well it's it's so interesting too because here lies the difference between and i i agree with what you're saying between service and like the 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 series of propane where in, in we have a client who cleans roofs as an example, right? That company has four options. What you see is what you got, cut and dry. And right. in service, it can be a little bit gray in nuance because, you know, everyone truly is different. No different than what you were saying. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> you're selling propane. Right. You know what I mean? And there's right. so many ways to skin that cat versus in the world of finance not to go on a huge detour i would say most people have the okay right you're more conservative you're more aggressive here's that portfolio blah 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 blah. now i could go on a tangent but this is not my episode about me this is my episode about you that is for another yes but yes but here i want you to because i want you to get this because I, I i i like for people to understand this so yeah what people that buy propane Right, people that buy propane, mm -hmm. what do they want? Well, they want the propane. They don't want the propane. They do not want the propane. They want to be taken care of. Nope, they don't want to be taken care of. They, they prefer they they prefer that I didn't exist. What do they want? And this is a good exercise that I want you to work on in your business. Okay. Think about this. People that buy propane, they want hot water to be able to cook their food, um, hot jacuzzi or a pool, a fireplace. They want what propane provide allows them to do. Okay. They, they want their hot. They want to go to take a shower, turn on that hot water, and the water comes out hot. Now, if I don't deliver the propane, what happens? Now they're pissed. Now they don't have hot water. If they, if they go to boil an egg and they can't boil a, an egg because I didn't deliver the gas, now they're pissed off because they can't boil an egg. They don't give a shit about propane. They want to boil their egg. Mm -hmm. And if you don't deliver the propane, now they can't boil their egg. But they, what they really want is what propane allows them to do. Yeah. So if you can create an experience where they get what they want with the least amount of friction possible... You got a customer for life. They, in, my best customer would not even know the name of my company. It'd be their credit cards on file. The gas shows up on time. They never they never uh, run out, and their home runs perfectly, and nothing ever happens 
out of the ordinary. They never run out, they always pay the bill, they barely look at the bill and they keep going with, along with their lives. Why? Because the service is great and there's no issues. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in every business. People, people think like, like, what's the car wash business? What, what do people want when they go get their car washed? Oh, they, they want a clean car. No, well, it's about self-esteem. Car wash business is about self-esteem. People want a clean car. Why? Because if my car is dirty, you see me as dirty. Right. right? It's a self-esteem business. Right. It needs to be, I need to be clean. I need to, the same guy who wants his car cleaned every single week, I guarantee you is going to be dressed nice. Maybe has some cologne on and an iron shirt. And it's like, this is about self-esteem. So every business has that. It's like surface level. Oh, they want service. No, man. I'm, if even me, I'd be like, fuck, I don't give a fuck about service or business, propane. Like what? I just want to cook. Mm-hmm. If the propane company didn't exist, it'd be even better if I could just cook without having to deal with another company, another invoice, another, another delivery schedule. Yeah. You get it? I totally get it. Yeah, okay. I totally get that. Well, and, and, you know, when we first met and then when we got to really know each other in Columbus, you it, it's clear that you not only loved what you do, but you love now what you're doing as far as coaching, instilling uh, greatness in business minds, but you did take that little detour from the grind path when you and your brother had, shall we say, a little disagreement in business. Mm. And obviously, you traveled the world. You focused on what made you happy. It, it's much more of a statement than a question. But isn't it interesting to you? And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but in a slightly different context. How those that are successful say it's worth to take the time to make yourself happy, yet. If it wasn't for their sacrifice into their career to achieve that happiness, they, they never would have been able to experience it. I mean, do you do you think about that ever? I think it's earned. You know, you mm-hmm. earn that. Mm-hmm. And once you earn it, you should, you should do whatever the hell you want. But I don't... So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like what I was saying about acknowledging success... I think you should acknowledge it and you should do things to celebrate, but I definitely don't think you should go out and like party right. <laughs> excessively <laughs> until you've actually achieved something. It's kind of like my whole Rolex argument with, with these guys online the other day. Yeah. And I'm like, they're, they're asking me my opinion on Rolex. I'm like, okay, I think Rolexes, you know, are basically for poor people. If you think about it, because it's like the first thing that someone who gets just enough money to buy to show the world that they've made some money I mean, generally speaking, that's not in every case, but it happens in many cases, especially down here in South Florida. And you got these guys that have thirty, forty thousand dollar watches, and they live with their mom. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So I, I don't know. I think it's subjective, and everyone's story is a little different. But yeah, no, I take. was just, I was just more curious about that. Well, and also South Florida. I mean that. As you know, is its own yeah world. It, that's a different world, man. I mean, it, well, so on the West Coast, so the the company I was with before I started Capitalize, I remember in San Diego, uh, we would go to the racetracks, and mm-hmm. you know, in San Diego, it, the sun's out, no different in South Florida. Everyone's gorgeous, all that. Yep. <laughs> and I remember quickly looking around, going, "How many?" people are truly what they show right how many people are truly how wealthy how many people are truly happy i mean everyone is just 
drop dead gorgeous. So like that didn't need to be an issue. But even then, how many people were just absolutely caked up? You know, um, a lot. It was sad. What, what, what color is uh, Bill Gates's Rolex? <laughs> yeah, no, that's my point. No one. I mean, it, it's one of those things. I would say the only caveat is I have met some people where they buy it, and this is purely for the Rolex standpoint. They use it on YouTube. They get a deduction and all that fun stuff. Of course, or, man. But that's very seldom the case and i want to keep going on when you devoted your mind to selling your company which initially it was for 25 million okay yeah how did you keep your excitement closed off from your employees as you pride yourself on being full disclosure was that a really tough balancing act for you well i had two different so i had these six by six whiteboards that i utilized during that time yep uh, in addition to my notebooks that I'd write all my notes and goals on. And what I did was I my, – my whiteboard that was in my office had goals and objectives in order to grow and improve the business as well, in, as, well as the the lives of our customers and employees. So that was just like growth and uh, milestones and benchmarks that we wanted to hit. My personal objectives were at home, obviously out of the eyes of the employees – and I didn't find it hard to to keep that under wraps at all because they were just goals, you know? Like, these are things that we need to do. My personal stuff was, okay, one day I wish, you know, for this to happen, but I don't know, it was pretty easy. They just, everybody saw it as like, okay, this is what we should be doing, and it's good for everyone, the business, me, the customers, everyone. We grow, we make more money. Everybody benefits, and that's one of the things that I really prided myself on is making sure that the the employees participated in my wins always yep. before I sold the business and after I sold the business. Just every time I was doing better, and I said, "Okay, I have this extra room to improve people's lives," I did it, and and all that good energy came back into the business because as the employees started to realize, "Man, this guy's taking care of us," they started to value their position in the business as long as as well as myself and their their fellow employees and pushed that you know they really be, we really became like a family yeah so it was really cool yeah no and 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 i got that not only when i read your book but when i i was first talking to you about your path in business um you can tell very quickly just meeting you how much you care and still care about your people um now when i first met you I was telling you about my thinking room and you were incredibly intrigued by that. And to the point where I was like, okay, I've had people interested, but like, he's really interested. And then I, after reading your book, I totally get why, because you devoted an entire chapter to the same concept. So as a sidebar, what are some of the things that you're thinking about these days? Every day is different. Um, I deal with a lot of, things and scenarios. I help a lot of people. I coach a lot of people. For example, last Friday, or was it Friday or Thursday? It was last Thursday. I was at a juvenile detention center where I'm speaking with these kids that are in there for a litany of different reasons. And a lot of thinking time since then has been devoted to that. How can I improve my time with them? What are better questions that I could ask them? How could I maximize uh, the sessions and things like that? So every day is different. So that that's just an example. I'm consulting for about seven different companies at this very moment. 
So depending on who I speak to that day and what scenario might arise, I'll, I'll think about it, you know? And um, I don't know. It's just like, to me, it's, it's second nature at this point. I always have a notepad. I always have a pen. And I just love to think. And it, I don't think it's, um, it's not final. You know, you don't have a thinking time session on something. Mm-hmm. Solve it and it's done. You can always improve on anything. You know, so one of my one of the things I love to, to say to people is success is never final. It's not. You, you get better, you grow, but success is never final. And you can constantly improve. The environment changes, the scenarios change, the people change, and there's always a new element to consider. And when you have these new elements to consider, then you say, okay, something just happened. The same environment I was in yesterday now has changed because of X reason. What should I do differently? How should I how should I proceed? Whatever. There's a, obviously you know there's a thousand questions. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, I um, day to day it changes, but I literally have like I'm not kidding. I have notepad like this, like notepads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably have like twenty of them in my house, and I'm just every once in a while I'll grab one and I'll just start like writing things down, thinking about this, thinking about that. Okay, come up with like a solution for the day or maybe some action items. And usually if it's action items, I don't get up until I act on the items right now. Like something has to happen right now based on what I just discovered. I'm going to pick up my phone and call somebody or email or whatever and make something happen on what I just discovered right now from this thinking session. Because if not, then the day gets away from you. You get up, you go, next thing you know, you get a drink of water, and then someone, uh, and it gets away from you. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, before I get up, boom, 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 call, 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 whatever, put those things in motion, and then, all right, keep yeah. on going. Hop on Capitalize Your Finances podcast, top financial podcast in the world, things of that nature. There you go. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, I didn't mean to yeah. take the words out of your mouth. But <laughs> Thank so, you. So speaking of finance, though, so you have a list of like 100 things to do before you die and i'm curious financially speaking what comes to mind on that list if anything financially speaking yeah i always change it isn't it funny like i i always uh i'm always growing in that area so if i put for example i want to make 100 million dollars and i make 100 million dollars then i'll say okay i want to make 150 500 million whatever it is like i'll kind of change my my goals like i'll check it off like we talked about like okay i reached it awesome celebrate buy yourself something whatever um but financially uh, no there's no freaking rolex (laughs) if i had a rolex i would throw it in a lake so (laughs) no i'd sell it and give the money to charity yeah so yeah i i am constantly changing that it's it's difficult i find it difficult sometimes to want more financially mm-hmm. because i i do everything i want to do yeah you know so it's you kind of got to keep it interesting in other ways like like the jail thing giving back and things like that because you, when you once you have enough to live you got a roof over your head and you have and specifically zero debt in my case i'm debt averse i don't like debt yeah i'm happy i'm comfortable if i if i owed if I had fifty million in the bank and I owed one million, I'd be tossing and turning at night. It's just how I am. Mm-hmm. I don't like owing money. I yeah. don't. Yeah. So for me, like I'm successful because I don't have any debt and I do everything I want to do. Um, 
And, and I, I want to make more money. I think everybody wants to make more money. You want to progress. And as Tony Robbins would say, progress equals happiness. Yeah. So we need to be progressing in some way or another. But financially, just keep, keep doing what I'm doing. I do a bunch of real estate deals now. Yeah. Things that are not uh, advertised to the public or anything like that. Yeah, until now. Um, but on a, on a serious note, there's another... <laughs> No, we're not. We're not going to go into those. There, no, no, there's no, no. A, there's another book I think you should read, uh, "The Joys of Compounding" by Gautam Bade. He came okay. on our show. Uh, shout out Gautam. He's got a, another book coming out which I have not read yet uh, in, in November, and he's going to come back on the pod. Um, mm-hmm. But he talks about the four pillars of wealth, and, and he says it much more articulate than than I do. So there's the everyone's hustling, trying to get by paycheck to paycheck which is a compliment because that means you're not going backwards the mm-hmm. what he would call t- traditional wealth trajectory so you, you grow get to retirement you're able to retire which by the way that is not a knock like that is very admirable because not a lot of people are able to get to that point but then there's right. the fourth tier where you know that you're good in my case your kids are good or kids 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 are good and you could triple your income, it doesn't really matter. So then you're able to see the world for what it truly is. And one mm. of the things that he has told himself, and I've implemented in, in my life, in my wife's life, where you know, we're not at that point yet, but round in third, if we wanna use the metaphor. And once you get to that point as a compounding, because making the next dollar doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of life, no. But then it shifts in, in our mindset to being a stewardship of what God has blessed us. Now, it doesn't have to be faith-based, but being a stewardship of your success, I think, is universal. And, and it's been really helpful for us because it removes the, I've just got to make the next dollar. Because right. you're never happy, you know? Right. And that's that's not exactly for you as it is for our listeners at home, but, you know. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think a lot of people struggle with knowing when they've won. Mm-hmm. And if you have a clear definition of success, as I do, I know when I've won. Okay, I, I, I won. Like, right? I, I won a long time ago. I won before I sold my business. I had a very simple life. I lived in an extremely small house, but I had no bills and I was happy. I drove the car that I wanted to drive, which was nothing special. It was a Denali pickup truck. And I did whatever the hell I wanted to do because I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the freedom. Yes. Having a Rolex doesn't help me if I got to go to work in the morning. I want to do whatever the hell I want to do. If I want to go fishing, I go fishing. If I want to go for a walk, I go for a walk. If I want to go to Canada, I'll go to Canada. That to me is how I define success. Having control or as much control as I possibly can over my time and what I do with it. Not material things. I enjoy material things just like anyone else. I'd have a lot of fun driving a Ferrari and a lot of fun, whatever, on a private jet. But more importantly, if I don't have to be somewhere where I'm trading my time for money, I won. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of winning, because I know our time is coming to a close and we're going to have to have you back on when you write your second and third and fourth book. No pressure. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no pressure on that at all. Um, But after you sold the business tell our fans what it felt like to have that monstrous sum of money wired into your account because it had to be surreal i it's funny because uh i was asked this question the other day and 
the the answer is it, it didn't feel like anything. It felt like nothing. It felt like felt like numbers on a screen. You know, when they when they asked me to verify that I received the wire, and I went to my office, I logged in, put the account number in, looked at it, I saw the money, and I was like, yeah, the, the money's there. Like, it was nothing, dude. Remember, it was not about the money. I didn't do it for money. And it was just a way of keeping score, I guess you could say, but it wasn't about money. It did not make me happier. I didn't feel like I had a big S on my chest. I didn't grow any taller. Nothing happened. It was just like money. Now, the special thing that happened was when I was able to start handing out checks to my employees. Mm-hmm. You know, we had 70 people line up outside of my office the day that I sold the business. And one at a time, they came into my office and, you know, tell them, hey, you know, we sold the business. And as you know, there's a lot of buzz happening. And, you know, give them the check and the crying and the hugging. And, you know, I even get goosebumps thinking about it. It was sad, man. It was like sad, but joyous, you know? Mm -hmm. I was sad because it was like the breaking up of a family, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we were able to change a lot of lives that day. You know, people bought homes and all kinds of things. It was really, really special. I was telling... I was telling Nick the other day that one of these guys actually asked me, if I give you the money back, can you not sell the company and we stay working here together as a family? Oh, oh my God. Gosh. I was like, <laughs> I get my eyes get watery just thinking about it. I was like, I'm sorry, man. We already, you know, the company sold, you know, and man, every person came where well, I was crying the whole day. Yeah. I was just crying the whole day, crying and hugging and. You know, it was it was cool. It was really cool. That was special. The money meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, um, and, and obviously we have not sold, nor will we for many, many years. It turns out a nine-month-old is very expensive. But yeah. I can tell you, since you haven't had kids, that feeling of growing and eventually selling from clients that have had kids and have sold a business it's that same feeling. I mean, that was your child. I mean, you grew yeah. and nurtured. The only difference is it actually paid for you. Abby is not on the payroll yet. We're working right. on it. Um, so don't ever forget that feeling. And I'll tell you, if you ever decide to start a family, you're going to be an awesome dad because you Thank take you. the mental models that you have from business and you apply that to your child. I mean, he or she will, will be just elated to have a dad like you so thank you um i I gotta ask a final question before we wrap this thing up yes sir out of everything that you have learned from the business world what is the number one piece of financial advice you could give our capitalizers i'm gonna give you something that i feel very strongly about and it's not necessarily financial advice okay it's just advice great so in spanish the literal translation is you are who you hang out with in my book i believe i quote it as um well let me just let me put it to you this way you hang out with people who are getting the results that that you're after spend time with people who are getting the results that you are after 
you want to, and, and I say it in, in the book, I don't know if you remember, but I say, look, for example, you, let's, let's rewind. I want to give you the whole thing. You don't ask the janitor for, for expert banking advice. And you don't ask the banker for expert advice on mopping a floor, right? That's first. Secondly, you hang out with people who are doing drugs all day, eventually you're going to do drugs. You hang out with five bankers, eventually you're going to learn something about banking. My advice for life in general, financial or otherwise, is try to get close and spend time with the people that are getting the results you're after. And that is going to do more for you than anything that I could tell you. That's literally the best advice. If I wanted to learn more about Chinese and I went to China for six months, I'm going to be speaking Chinese after that six months, right? <laughs> I'm going to be speaking Chinese. You don't have to tell me who to speak to. You don't got to tell me what city to go to. Just go hang out with the Chinese. Guess what? I'm going to come back six to 12 months later. I'm going to be speaking fluent Chinese. Mm -hmm. So just analyze who you're spending your time with, what environments you're spending your time with, keep your radar on. And if you find yourself in a position or a situation where you're like, man, this is an ugly person or this is an ugly situation or these people are talking about dumb stuff that I don't really care about, remove yourself from the environment yeah. and put yourself in an environment that'll help you get elevated to the next level of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Even if it's just trying to accomplish better quality conversations table talk even if it's just that put yourself in a room where you're getting fed not drained or you're going to put yourself in a in an environment where you're susceptible to something stupid happening i don't know yeah people that steal or whatever so that's just the advice if i had kids that'd be the advice that i give them if all my dying words would be what do you want to do you want to be a banker Hang out with bankers, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. spend your time with the people that are getting the results you're after. Yeah. And, and, and also don't buy Rolexes, which is a... Don't buy Rolex. You, know, you buy a Rolex, I'll come back from the dead. And <laughs> That's right. And I, I was going to say, this would be an uh, inopportune time to say this episode is sponsored by Rolex, but it's yeah, not. Yeah. So, they're not going to like me. Yeah, they're, they're not going to like... Yeah, that's one That's one uh, sponsor that is off the capitalized radar for the, the near future, but... <laughs> Max, where, where can capitalizers go to best support and follow you? I'm active on Instagram uh, for the most part. I know that the team has a Twitter, but I, I'm not on the Twitter or the TikTok. I don't use any of that stuff. If they want to get a hold of me on Instagram, they can. The book is on Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, Ingram, Spark, every, pretty much every outlet. And, um, yeah, pretty, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. You, you are very easy to get a hold of. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And for those of you that have chosen to listen in, if you have not bought Who is Max Lewis? 37 chapters, 37 lessons, $37 million. You need to go do so right now. Um, it's not that he needs the money. He's just trying to spread the wealth and cheer. For those of you that are new to the channel, welcome. For you veterans out there, you know the drill. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can either give us a call, 253-214-3050, or you can shoot me an email, chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com. 
If you are listening in and going, gosh, this is a freaking awesome podcast, I would love to be part of the Capitalized community and come on as a guest, head on over to CapitalizedPodcast.com, shoot us a DM, myself and my team look at it every single day. As always, I'm your host, Chris Ray Paniotu, the Captain Capitalized, and until next time, keep capitalizing. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Max Lewis and any other individual or company mentioned in this podcast are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.